If you don't know me, Andrew mentioned my name's Kelly. Uh, my wife, Brandy, and I were part of the staff here a while ago. Um, we left, let's see, I think our last Sunday was in January of 2013 to go to Spokane, which is where I grew up, uh, and plant Center Church there. That's going great. It's been mostly an awesome experience, uh, almost entirely. You know, anything worthwhile has its difficulties for sure, but it's been, it's been really, really great. Uh, what you need to know is what I say every time I'm here is that we do really consider ourselves still to this day part of this church family. And uh, really are very appreciative for you allowing us to stay part of this church family, even though we're not here very often. Uh, and I mentioned last time I was here, which was in April, that most families have the crazy relative who just shows up once in a while and, and they assume they're part of the family, but everybody, everyone else knows they're like sort of the outsider. And I just acknowledge, like, I meet some of the criteria to be the crazy uncle. Um, I'm just acknowledging that, but I'm hoping that you'll give me just a little bit of license, and right now Pastor Mike's, like, starting to sweat, um, to just say something to you if, if this is your church. Uh, Pastor Mike and I kind of started ministry together 15, 16, 17 years ago, something like that. Uh, and I'm hoping that we can finish together and that that won't be, like, a year from now. I'm hoping it'll be 30 years from now or, you know, a long time from now. So I need to ask you a favor. Uh, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, or at least know of them, right? Some of the big ones like don't steal, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, there's one of the Ten Commandments that is really hard for all of us to keep, but especially pastors, and that is the Third Commandment, which is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, in their context, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was very specifically, do not work on the seventh day of the week. Jesus comes along and he explains the actual uh, spirit of the Sabbath. And the spirit of the Sabbath, as he said, was that the Sabbath, it wasn't made, the Sabbath was made for man. God didn't create man so that they could observe the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath so that people would get rest, so that people would take time off. Uh, because God understands that we need that rhythm. And that's actually why I'm here this week. Because my friend turned 40 and I wanted to be here to celebrate that with him. But I also wanted to make sure that he, like, took a little bit of downtime. I actually strongly encouraged him to stay home today, but he loved you so much he couldn't, he couldn't do it. So can you do me this favor? Uh, I'm just asking you, and uh, I'm at least self-disclosing that I'm part of your church family. Uh, can we be a church family that doesn't encourage our pastor to break the third commandment? Can we just be a church family that encourages him to have a, uh, a rhythm of rest when necessary? Because if him and his family thrive... Uh, there's a really good chance that this, third, this church family is going to thrive. But if they don't, the opposite is also true. So, uh, so we can join together and do that. And my part will be really easy because I just show up twice a year and, and uh, we, go, we go from there. So I'm really leaning on you uh, to make sure that that happens, even if it's forcible, by the way. Like, let's just say a few months from now, you're like, you know what, Pastor Mike? You have to go on this all-expenses-paid vacation to Hawaii. Uh, we'll, we'll do that. So... All right, enough about that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is my favorite passage, my favorite chapter in the Bible. The first 10 verses changed my life, Ch changed my life. I mean, if you just went through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, just kind of phrase by phrase or sentence by sentence, and just considered the implications, you'll find some really incredible things in there. You'll find the idea that uh, apart from Christ, you're not bad. Apart from Christ, you're dead to God. That's much worse than being bad. But Jesus comes along, and he doesn't make you good. He makes you alive. You're not just good because of Christ. You're alive because of Christ. Another thing you'll find in there is that apart from Christ, we are, in our sin, 
the objects of God's wrath. If there's something worse in all of the universe than being the object of God's wrath, I can't imagine what that would be. Um, But in Christ, we are the object of God's mercy. If there's something better that you could be in all of the universe, I can't imagine what that would be than being the object of God's mercy. And it says in verse 10 that we are God's workmanship, or uh, the Greek word is poema. It means, that's where we get our word poem. Uh, It also is the same word that means in English, masterpiece. That you are God's masterpiece, and he created you anew in Christ Jesus to do good works, the good plans that he prepared in advance for you long before you were ever born. There's a lot of good news in those first 10 verses. Uh, And so I probably, I'm guessing, just subconsciously have walked up and taught from those 10 verses every single time I've ever been up here. But today, I want to go a little bit farther down the page and read from verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. It says, consequently, consequently meaning because of all the things I just said, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, and you are members of God's household. How cool is that? built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Uh, can we do this? Can we, just, can we just pray really quick? I want to talk about your family today. Uh, I know that's near and dear to all of us for some reason, good, or bad, or indifferent. Uh, if you need to get up and bolt now that you know that, this is the time. Uh, but I want to pray that God would just would speak clearly to each one of us. So, Lord, uh, God, I am of the mind that the, the family is plan A for your work in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision, uh, a picture of what a better future for us and our families would look like. Uh, how we can shine a spotlight on how awesome you are in a more effective way, how we can have more joy in our homes, how we can uh, spread that joy to the other families around us. I pray that at the end of it all, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, You know what this is, I assume, I assume there's not a person out there who has never played with a Lego uh, before, but you know, one of the things we see in that verse is, uh, in those verses, is that God is building a house, Uh, It's kind of crazy, but the Bible explains to us that God doesn't live in buildings, right? He's created us to be a people. We're God's God's dwelling place. And so it says that this house is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, which makes sense, right? If you know who the prophets were, they were in the Old Testament before Christ. They were God's mouthpiece to the people. God would speak through the prophets to the people. So, you know, of course, they're part of the foundation. Uh, The apostles totally makes sense that they would be part of the foundation of this home that God is building for himself because the apostles were the people that walked with Jesus. They got it firsthand from him. So, of course, they're part of the foundation. And then you have Jesus as the cornerstone. If Jesus isn't the cornerstone, this is going to be a really dumb house, right? Of course, Jesus is the cornerstone. That makes absolute sense to me. If Jesus is not who he says he is, then our faith is empty. The Bible makes no sense. It's not useful to us. But then there's this other part in there uh, that's pretty cool, but it's still still a little strange to me. It says that in this home God is building for himself, he's building you and I together to be the house 
for him to dwell in on that foundation. Uh, you guys are a good-looking house. I'm looking out. This is a, this is a good-looking group of people. Uh, but I'm just saying, if I'm God of the universe and I could build any kind of house, uh, do I really want to build it into one where, you know, they, like, argue with each other and, and uh, you know, do all the silly things that, uh, that we do in the context of our, our families? Uh, it's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. But it says that God is building a house and you and I are the bricks, and he's fitting us together one by one so that we can be his family. It says that we are God's household. How crazy is that, that you get to be part of God's family? I should have practiced this. I'm not very handy with my, my Legos here. God's, God's building us into a family, not just a religion. You know, a religion is not really all that useful, but he's making you and I into his family. And here's what I know about families. Uh, a recent study found that the overwhelming majority of Americans would cite their family and their close friends as the most influential pe- people in their lives. Um, that's probably true for a lot of you. I mean, if the statistic holds, that would be a lot of us. Um, some of us would say they're the most influential people in our lives for you know, negative reasons. Uh, some of us would say good reasons. But nonetheless, our family are the most influential people in our lives. Second thing that's really, really critical about the family, and, uh, and I think this is mostly true for just about, just about every, I can't think of an exception, and that is that the family is where we learn most of our behaviors, it's where we learn most of our belief system, and what we see in the scripture, and it's played out in our reality, is that the family really is God's plan A for teaching us who he is, for helping us have a relationship with him. That happens really in the context of family for the overwhelming, for the overwhelming majority of us. Now, for me personally, uh, I'm passionate about this idea of family, not just because I have one. There's your house, your good-looking, good-looking house right there. Not just because I have one, but because as I look out at the landscape of what's happening in our society, I think most of us could agree that the fundamental building blocks of the family, um, I don't know if I'd say they're under attack, but they're, they're certainly struggling right now. Families being redefined in so many ways, uh, devalued in our culture. And the important part to me, the reason I, I have this one issue that I'm so passionate about is that there's certain problems in the world I feel powerless to do something about. But this is one that we, the church, God's household, we can do something about this particular, this particular problem. We can bring hope to families around us. And so I want to talk to you uh, about building God's dream home, what that might look like in your context, how we might help other people do that. And uh, I skillfully crafted it around this, uh, this little graphic from HGTV, because if your household is like ours uh, and you have cable, you know that you have 900 channels, but you only watch three of them. That's, that's how it works, right? Because you got ESPN for dad. I mean, obviously you got ESPN for dad. And then uh, our, at our house, Brandy and Hannah, they like to watch the baking network, because one of them is a skillful baker, and the other one just likes reality TV. I won't tell you which is which. Um, but the one that we can sort of meet in the middle ground on is HGTV. And uh, just, just as a show of hands, just so we can see how, what the playing field looks like, who watches HGTV? Do we have, we have some takers? Okay. Uh, wow, you have a lot of free time over here on the west side. Uh, what HGTV basically consists of some variation of two shows. You have the home buying show, right? House Hunters was kind of the original and then there's several variations of them. House Hunters International, which is this exact same show, just in other countries. Tiny House Hunters, exact same show, just the houses are smaller, right? They're, they're all some variation of that show. 
And then you have the remodel show, which is, which is the second type. Some of these you'll probably recognize, Good Bones, Flipper Flop, Rehab Addict. Uh, these, are, these are shows where, at the beginning of the show, they acquire a house somehow, and then they remodel it. Sometimes they flip it, you know, sometimes they buy it and sell it, but the impetus of the show is really the remodel. And there's sort of a hybrid type of show where they kind of combine the two. This is like pay dirt. This is the mother load for HGTV. Property Brothers, Love It or List It, and of course, everyone in America's favorite house flipping show is, do we get it? Oh, Fixer Upper, of course. Listen, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people who know that Chip Gaines is the best personality on TV, and there's people who don't know what's going on. Uh, so, uh, if you've ever seen the show, chances are you love the show. It's a great show. So here's what they do. They take usually a couple around Waco, Texas, which is where the show is filmed, uh, coincidentally, I sat next to a girl who had just graduated from Baylor University recently on an airplane, and I, I said, listen, this is probably super annoying to you, but I just have to ask you, like, what's it like? How do people who live in Waco feel about the show Fixer Uppers? And she was like, I don't want to like, say it because it'll probably be on the podcast, you know, but, but she was like, no, that's not, it's not great. Not a great vibe around Waco, Texas. They took over. Uh, but on this show, what they do is they take a couple around and they give them options. Which house are they going to buy? It's super suspenseful, right? Well, they pick one, and then they go down and they give this wish list. They walk through the house and they tell Chip and Joanna all the things that have to be there in order for them to have their dream home. And uh, it's super predictable, right? You got open concept, hardwood floors. Who could possibly live without two sinks in the master? I mean, seriously. Uh, <laughs> granite countertops, although I'm told that marble is kind of like the trendy thing now. Uh, but... Uh, so they go through and they give their wish list. These are the essentials that we have to have in our dream home. And then Chip and Joanna kick them out and they do their magic. And it really, if you've seen it, it's really amazing what a skillful designer and skillful tradespeople can do to an old house. At the end of the show, the house is usually better than it was when it was brand new. Uh, it's, it's really amazing. These, these houses end up just being so beautiful. And uh, so they, they do this, the fixer-upper and then at the end of the show, if you're familiar with it, you know what happens, right? The couple stands in the street and then in front of their fixer-upper, and there's a big picture of what the house used to look like when they first bought it. And Chip and Joanna say, hey, y'all, y'all ready to see y'all's fixer-upper? And they pull the picture apart, and it goes to commercial break. But then when they come back, <laughs> then you see the fixer-upper. And it, it's really incredible. Like, even though every show is basically the exact same show, like, you still can't walk away. Have you ever noticed if you watch the first 30 seconds, you're basically stuck there for the full hour? They finish the house, and then they go through. And they go down the wish list. Here's the hardwood floors. We redid those for you. Here's the two sinks and the master. All the things they said they had to have that were essentials. They go through, and they just point them all out. Here's what we did for you. And then it's up to the people to make it really into their home. It's up to them. And it's just so incredible how beautiful the house is at the end. So today, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to walk through my own personal list of essentials that I, I see throughout the scripture. Um, some of them are just kind of practical, godly living stuff. Um, and my hope is that somehow you'll be able to pull one of them out, one or two of those, and say, you know what? We need to put that to work in, in our home. When I say family, I just kind of want to define that for you real quick. You know, when I say that, uh, we mostly think like traditional family, you know, parents and kids. But, but the truth is there's all kinds of people in your family. Some of them are given. I mean, some of them you were just born with and you can't get rid of them. Um, but a lot of them are chosen. 
You ever had a best friend? Somebody who's, yeah, they're part of my family for sure. The people that you love. Um, what about your church family? You know, family can look like a lot, of, a lot of different things. And what's awesome about it is God's thinking the same way. He didn't just make us into a religion. He's made us into a family. So I'd encourage you to sort of broaden your circle of what you, what you hear when I say family. But I want to just walk through a few essentials of God's dream home for you. The first one is this. God's dream home for you is built on a solid foundation. I know, that was predictable. You knew that one was going to come up, right? Uh, but it's the truth. I mean, could you imagine a house that was built on a poor foundation? Uh, we have some friends who years ago, they, they bought a house that was built in 1906, probably 10, 12 years ago, they bought this house. And when you looked at it, you could see that at one time, it was a beautiful, amazing house, but one time was a long time ago. One of the most noticeable things was when you came in the front door, there was sort of a staircase that went up to the right, and the living room was over here. And if you looked across the living room, it was like noticeably downhill <laughs> to the other side of the living room. Uh, I'm not, I fancy myself uh, semi-handy. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a tradesperson by any stretch. Uh, I'm just thinking like when I walk into the house and it's noticeably downhill, I'm moving on to the next house, right? That's not my fixer-upper. But my friend Dave, he's, he's super handy. And so the first thing he did before he refinished a floor or put in a countertop or did any of that was went down into the scary basement cellar, set up some beams and jacks and all kinds of things that I would never try on my own. And he jacked up the house and leveled off the foundation. It was essential in order to be able to do the work on the rest of the house. Uh, if you've ever been like a drywaller or a framer, I'm sure you could attest to the fact that it's basically impossible if the house is like you know, a parallelogram, if it's not square, uh, it's, it's almost impossible. Think about the world's most famous leaning structure, right? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. I think I might have a picture of it up there. Uh, it is, it's 15 feet out of plumb. 15 feet. And the interesting thing about it is, um, it's not like they just rushed through it. It took exactly 200 years to build the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, 200 years, like right on the button, actually. The problem with it is that the foundation is only 10 feet deep. It needs a deeper foundation. You can't have a solid home without a solid foundation. Well, Jesus knew that, obviously. And Jesus understood that anybody, even if you're not handy, can understand the need for a solid foundation. So in Matthew chapter 7, he tells what you might consider a little bit of a parallel. It's a parable. It's a little bit more of just a, just a word picture. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. And then he sets up the contrast, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Notice the contrast between the two. The foolish man wasn't like a complete jerk who just intentionally screwed up because he wanted to rush through it. The foolish man, all he did was build it in the wrong spot. The only difference between the two is putting into practice or not putting into practice. That's the only difference, not just adding a little Jesus to my situation, but building on him as the foundation. So this is why uh, at our church in Spokane, at Center Church, we say we're really just about one thing. There's one thing we do. 
Uh, this, is, this is all we're about, and that is helping people know Jesus. That's, that's all we do because we're convicted that he is the solid foundation that a joyful and purposeful life will be built upon. Because in your family, the storms are going to come. Many of you have lived long enough to see several stormy seasons. Those are going to come. Those are going to happen. A strong foundation is an essential if you want to thrive through those seasons. Strong foundation. The second one is natural light. If you've seen any of those shows that I mentioned, you notice that's always a topic of conversation. Everyone notices either the abundance or the lack of natural light when they're going through uh, their fixer-upper. God's dream from home for you has an abundance of natural light. In the same discourse in Matthew chapter 5, uh, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verse 14, Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. Uh, do you ever think to yourself, man, if this whole thing's like banking on us, we're in trouble. I don't know if you ever have that thought, but sometimes, sometimes I do. But Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Thankfully, uh, he told us what to do with that because he goes on to say, let your light shine in such a way that when people see you, it shines a spotlight on how awesome your God is. That's, that's how we shine our light. That's our goal. And we see throughout the rest of the, the New Testament all kinds of practical ways we can do that. So like in Romans 9, for example, verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Don't answer out loud. Uh, I mean, you can if you want to, I guess, but uh, have you ever just been nice to someone, not because you wanted to, but because it was like the right thing to do? You just had to do it. Like, you drive me nuts. I really can't stand you. I have other things to do, but I'm just going to put on like a plastic smile. Uh, those we call social skills. Uh, Jesus is talking about something a little bit deeper. Paul says in Romans, don't just pretend to love people, but learn how to really love people. Uh, what's interesting to me is as I play the tape back of my life, I can tell the people who were nice to me and the people who really loved me. I bet, I bet you can too. Uh, my parents, it's funny, you know, when I was a kid, I, I thought my parents were superheroes, and I was wrong. They are not superheroes. Uh, when I was a teenager, I thought they were super annoying. I was wrong about that too. Now that I'm an adult, I think there's some of both, and I don't know if two wrongs makes a right, but, uh, but that's just where I'm at. So, uh, so like my mom, for example, uh, my mom's awesome because she's just like me. Uh, she's also really annoying because she's just like me, you know what I mean? Uh, as your kids get older, you, uh, you sometimes will say like, okay, I know you're doing just what I would do in that situation, but you have to stop. Uh, this is, this is how, our family, how our family works. We grow up to be just like them. One way that I'm hoping I grow up to be just like my parents, the highest compliment I could pay them is to say that they are the real thing, uh, that they are open about their faith in Christ and everything about the way they live confirms what they say they believe. So like, for example, uh, I've been out of my parents' house for 20 plus years now, and in the time since I've been gone, there have been at least a half a dozen people who have lived for extended periods of time in my old bedroom. Uh, that's that's very normal. It's very normal for me to come to a family gathering and have more people who are not related to me than people who actually are related to me. Now, I would say, as I think about it, having that kind of hospitality for outsiders, okay, that's a big step for a lot of us from you know, where we might be currently. Uh, some of you are very hospitable, and that's totally normal. But, but really loving people is also in the small things. 
we have some good friends uh, in Spokane. They have four kids. We have three. Uh, we have dinner. If there's 52 Fridays in a year, we probably have dinner at their house, about 40 of them. And one of the things they do, maybe the one thing they do that shines the light in my life more than anything else is that when I come to their front door, the whole family shows up and both of our families hug it out every Friday, even though we've been there hundreds of times. Uh, they do this little thing that says, I'm not just pretending to love you. I'm not just being hospitable outwardly, but I'm actually happy to see you. And my point in telling you that is you don't have to be a superhero to really love people. You just have to really love them, even in the small things. Let your light shine. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Shining the natural light is an essential in God's dream home for you. Okay, so I was thinking about uh, the moms that, uh, that are here in this church. This one, this one pertains to everybody. Uh, but moms have a lot of plates in the air because on a daily basis, you got to be making sure that you're taking care of everyone's need. Okay, so in our family, we have three kids. Brandy stayed home for 10 years. She was a stay-at-home mom. So what I did when I woke up in the morning was I just did what I needed to do that day. I wasn't thinking about anybody else. I got to be here. I got to be there. I got to do this. I got to do that. Well, then when our littlest, our, our little guy, Ezra, who's 10 now, when he went to kindergarten, Brandy was like, hey, I think I'm going to go finish college and go get a job. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Well, then when she actually started the job and all of a sudden I had to like sometimes figure out how to get the kids here and there, I was like, whoa. I had no idea this was going on behind the scenes. I had no idea how many plates were in the air, which is wonderful because it's a labor of love. If you have kids, you, you totally get that. Uh, even if you don't have kids, if you just have other people in your life, maybe they're not your children, but people in your life that you take responsibility for and you care for them, uh, it's a labor of love. However, it can wear you down because when you add uh, making sure they get everywhere they need to go, making sure uh, your home is taken care of, uh, making sure that, you know, perceptions are upheld, that you're meeting everyone's expectation. And then you look around and you see all the other moms and, like, there's this, uh, we live in this very competitive culture, right, because everyone puts, like, the best snapshots of their lives online and everyone communicates all the wonderful things that are happening in their lives. It becomes a lot of pressure um, and overwhelmingly heavy load for some people. What I want is for somebody to just post pictures of their kid picking a booger so that the rest of us can come down to earth a little bit. So, so if that's you, uh, if you're a mom or maybe you live with a mom who could certainly be feeling the weight of all that, uh, this one is especially for you. God's dream house for you has room for you to relax in it. It has room for you to be okay with yourself. Be okay with the things you're good at, okay with the things you're not good at. Uh, I have quoted from Jen Hatmaker's book, From the Love, but when I've been here before. Uh, I want to read you a paragraph from this book, uh, and she's talking about this very thing, the need to, to keep up with all the expectations. And you know how it can filter down even into the little things, like, I'm going to take my kid for a walk, but I can't just have any stroller. i got to have the right stroller. I mean, it filters into every area of our lives. This is what she says to, to that. Listen to me. No one can pull this off. No one is pulling this off. The women who seem to ride this unicorn only display the best parts of their stories. Trust me, no one can fragment her time into this many segments. The trouble is, we have up-close access to women who excel in each individual sphere. With social media and its carefully selected messaging, 
We see career women killing it, craft moms slaying it, chef moms nailing it, Christian leaders working it. We register their beautiful yards, their homemade green chili enchiladas, themed birthday parties, eight-week Bible study series, chore charts, ab routines, 10 tips for a happy marriage, career best practices, volunteer works, and family fun night ideas. We make note of their achievements, cataloging all their successes, and observing their talents. And then we combine the best of everything we see every woman we admire, and every genre, and we conclude, I should be all of that. And I'm here to tell you, no, you shouldn't. And it's totally okay. No one can be all of that. Unless you can magically create 373 hours in a day, no one can be all of that. And I'm here to tell you, as, just as a husband, I don't expect that you will be all of that. No realistic person expects that you will be all of that. And I want you to have room to relax, to be okay with yourself. This is what she goes on to say about it. She says, not only is it beyond unreasonable, it's destructive. We measure our performance against an invented standard and we come up wanting, and the kicker is it's destroying our joy. We cannot do it all, have it all, or master it all. This is simply not a thing. And then she gives one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in my life. I've said it here probably a half a dozen times over the years. She says, we need to quit trying to be awesome and instead be wise. Don't worry about being awesome. I already think you're awesome. You've won me over. Be wise. Room to relax is an essential. And one of the ways that Ephesians 2 just changed my life was when I read it, I realized that my validation is actually not tethered to my ability to maintain it. It's tethered to Jesus' ability to maintain it, and he's really good at that. Your validation is forever tied to him. And didn't he say, if you're tired and weary, come to me. Don't, don't run faster if you're getting tired. Come to me, and I will give you rest. The wise move is, let go of some things. God's dream home for you has plenty of room to relax. A fourth thing is that God's dream home has room for fun, has a rec room. Uh, my grandparents had a rec room in their house when I was a kid, uh, I don't know, if, I don't even know if that's still a thing. I haven't heard anybody use that phrase in, in a while. Um, but my most vivid memory of it was um, the room had like this dark paneling, you know, in the 70s and 80s, that was like a thing, and a ping pong table. Okay, so you're going back there with me. I don't know if I did or not, but I probably had a mullet, right? This is like circa 1984. <laughs> and uh, I remember my dad and my uncles down there playing ping pong and my uncle diving for a ball and just putting his paddle, the whole thing, right through the, the wood paneling. So... That's my most vivid memory of, a, uh, of having a, uh, a rec room. Um, but the truth is, it's okay to have fun. There's so many things in life that will just suck the joy out of your day and elimin eliminate fun. But God wants you to have fun. Joy is an important piece of following Jesus. You wake up and you got bills and you got laundry and you got a job. Uh, you got to get the kids here and there. You got too much to do, not enough to do. Um, it's easy to see the fun just sucked right out of it. But there's this really interesting dialogue Jesus has with his disciples in John 15. This is what's known as the upper room discourse. It's the night before Jesus is arrested and, and, uh, and goes to the cross. Uh, you might be familiar with that story. Um, he has this conversation with them, and he talks about how they should continue to depend on him. He uses the analogy of himself as the vine and his followers, us as the branches. And he talks about how the branches are totally dependent in all things on the vine. It's pretty smart stuff. No wonder he's Jesus and I'm me. 
And then he gives them this instruction. He says, people are going to know you're following me by the way you love each other. People are going to know that you're connected to the vine by the way that you love each other. And then he makes this statement, John 15, 11. He says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And then he stamps it again. He says, yes, your joy will overflow. God's intention is for you to have joy in all things. Now, I'm not a hyper-spiritual person. Um, I would just say this. If it's reasonable to believe that there's a God, and I think that's a reasonable thing to believe, then it's also reasonable to believe that there's a Satan, right? If If it's reasonable to believe in good, it's reasonable to believe in evil. And I can assure you from Scripture and from uh, history that Satan would love nothing more than to suck the joy out of your life. Uh, Have you ever had a period of your life where you just kind of lived in isolation? You didn't have a lot of relational interaction going on? My observation is that the more isolated people become, the less pleasant they become. Satan would love nothing more than to suck the joy out of your life in any area. Even something like coming to church. Satan would love to suck the joy out of coming to church. There's chances, there's a good chance that one of you woke up and thought, I don't really want to go today. Satan will even attack that. Uh, It happens at your job, it happens with your errands, all the things you do, Satan would love to suck the joy out of it. I heard about a guy who woke up on Sunday, and he said to his wife, I just, I don't think I'm going to go today. I just, you know, I go there, and I just don't feel like I fit in, the people don't really seem to like me. You know, I just, I never get anything out of it, and at the end, I just feel worse about myself. And his wife said, okay, well, two things. One, you need to change your thinking because none of those things are true. That's just discouragement trying to get at you. And two, you're the pastor. You have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Satan will try to suck the joy out of anything, okay? He He really will. And I can attest, even as a pastor, Satan will try to suck the joy out of spiritual things, Okay, that's, that's what he's after, push back. Joy is not only okay, but God has joy for you. Somebody said this phrase a long time ago that really made a difference for me. He said, in life, you can either choose joy or you can chase happiness. You can choose to have the joy of the Lord. It's already yours. He already has it for you. Or you can chase personal happiness. The choice is ours. Just know that God wants you to have joy. It would be impossible to build a biblical argument otherwise. Number five, every good house has got a laundry room. God's God's dream home for you has a laundry room. Because guess what? Messy people are going to show up at your house. The truth is, messy people are the only kind of people there are. You're a messy person. You make messes. Uh, Family are going to do weird things. My dad's brother, my dad's the youngest of seven brothers, and one of them came to visit from West Virginia so you should have, should have probably tipped you off that this was going to get weird. But you know what he brought as a gift? You're going to think I'm making this up. I promise you this is true. He gave them a new toilet seat. <laughs> because apparently, like, he has trouble finding comfortable toilet seats. And I, my first thought is, like, how much time you plan on spending in there? You're only here for, like, four days. But, but he showed up with a toilet seat. And I just can only think, you're weird. Don't come back. <laughs> Family are going to do weird stuff. They're probably thinking the same thing to me. Uh, Don't bring your family a toilet seat. Go with flowers or something like that. Uh, But the truth is, messy people are going to show up in your life. uh, And it's one of the best ways for us to really love people, not just pretend. Because if you ever had a messy season in your life and somebody stuck with you, 
how do you feel about that person right now? Deep, deep loyalty. Uh, those people are lifelines when we need them. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says one of the most beautiful things about us as the family of God. It gives us the instruction to share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And then just something that cracks me up, it says in the New Living T- Translation, it says, if you think you're too, you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Uh, I thought, wow, tell it to me straight. Uh, but bearing each other's burdens is part of what it means to follow Jesus. If you want to do something with your life that actually matters, that makes a difference, love a messy person. Every day I'm totally aware of the fact that so many things I do with my time and energy are really not going to matter that much. I mean, there's going to be a day when no one cares how green my lawn is. And yet, I'm out there every day taking care of it. You want to do something that's going to stick around forever, that's going to impact generations? Love a messy person. I hope that this house, this church family, is always going to be a place for people who need Jesus. I pray that we'll have, we'll have open arms for them. The last one, my favorite HGTV buzz phrase, God's Dream Home for You has an open concept. Uh, we live in a society that builds walls. One of my good friends, Dr. Jerry, he's a professor at Whitworth University, he says, America in the last 50 years has moved from a front porch culture to a back patio culture. Because on the front porch, everybody can see what's going on. On the back patio, you can put a privacy fence around that. We really have kind of migrated in that way. As a society, we generally don't like others in close proximity. Uh, we've, we've become sort of suburban in that regard. Um, God challenged me on this a few years ago. Our church, we do Rooted also. And uh, if you haven't been through Rooted, it's so, so phenomenal. I'd encourage you to do it. Um, but God challenged me to have a rooted group in our house for young adults. Uh, so we had this group of young people. They were maybe like 19 to maybe 25 or so. And it's so funny because here I am. I'm 41, three kids, bedtime's at 8 o'clock. Uh, for them, that's like almost dinner time. And so uh, it sort of upset the apple cart at our house. But, you know, it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was so phenomenal to just have these people in my home who otherwise wouldn't have a mom to cook dinner for them, uh, who otherwise wouldn't have anybody to just press down on the deep things of life. Uh, God really pushed me about this open concept deal. Romans 12, 13 says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Isn't hospitality one of the most admirable qualities that you can, you can think of? When you, when you go to someone's house and they're, you know, not just a door open, but they're a heart open to you, doesn't it make you feel valuable? This is the kind of Christ-like character we can, we can exhibit. Mother Teresa had a really short line about this. She said, the problem with the world is that we draw our family circles way too small. And how cool would it be if your family, your household, whether that's one person or 10 people, was the catalyst for a real change in somebody's life? How cool would that be? Hospitality is, is all it takes. How amazing would, would it be if somebody said, you know what? Those people are the real thing. They opened up their, widened their circle for me. What I know about this church, because you've impacted my life so profoundly, is that this is a place full of difference makers. This is a church that's full of hospitable difference makers. This one, this open concept, this is one that you as a, as a collective can easily do easily expand that circle. Being hospitable will make all the difference. Okay, so that's six things. Uh, hopefully you, you had a chance to jot something down. 
Uh, I wouldn't normally throw six of them at you. I'm sort of a fan of the one-point sermon because it's usually about all that I can personally work with. Uh, But I want to challenge you to consider one of those six things. Maybe it's just a matter of getting our home situated on a solid foundation, reorienting our home, reorienting our lives around Christ. Maybe it's this idea of shining a light, letting our light shine into someone else's life. Maybe it's decluttering. Maybe it's a matter of learning to be okay with who I am and what I'm not good at. I hope God can set some of you free in that regard. Maybe it's allowing God to put a song in your heart. Uh, There's this really cool video online if you ever get a chance to look at it. Um, These guys are called the Singing Contractors. Has anybody ever seen the Singing Contractors? Okay, just a couple of you. Uh, These are two guys that have a very hard job. I think they're drywallers, and they also happen to have amazing singing voices. And so they sing all these incredible hymns on the job site. And people are always like, oh my gosh, do that again. And so a lot of the videos are just like cell phone videos that people pulled out because they heard these guys singing. Uh, God can put a song in your heart even when you're hanging drywall. That's available to you. Maybe it's a matter of just getting outside the comfortable and pouring into messy people, loving someone who needs encouragement. Or maybe God's going to challenge you this week to expand your family circle. Uh, He's done that to me before, and it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. But here's the big idea that, if nothing else, I'm hoping you can hang on to that. And this is the fact that we're all fixer-uppers. All of us are. None of us has it all together. A lot of times we use uh, the fact that I'm a fixer-upper as an excuse to not invest in that person because they're they're so much more put together than I am. But we're all fixer-uppers. Every one of us is going to make mistakes. Every one of us is going to be and feel inadequate. That's a normal thing. And it's so much more apparent in your family than anywhere else. Your family knows that about you more than anybody else does. Here's the good news. When we center our lives around Jesus, he doesn't come in to take sides. He doesn't come in to point out who's wrong and right. If you invite Jesus into your family circle, he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. And that's really good news. Because men, fathers, uncles, grandfathers, you're never going to have to apologize to your family for the ways that you followed Jesus. In fact, when you get to the end of your life, they will thank you and praise you for following Jesus. It's the wisest decision you could make. Jesus is never going to make you, mom, feel inadequate, feel like you're not enough. In fact, when you're not enough, he's going to be enough. Couples are never going to have to go to therapy because your marriage is just too darn Christ-like. He's not going to take you there. That's not how that story ends. A young person, you're never going to have regrets about the decision to follow Jesus. Old person, you're never going to have to look back and think, man, I wish I wouldn't have emulated Jesus. He doesn't take us there. He takes us to places that we want to be if we'll allow him to come in and take over. So I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, I hope you'll consider what a next step would be. We're all under construction. Uh, we're all a fixer-upper in some way. And uh, so I hope you'll, you'll consider, God, how do you want to remodel my, my home, my family, my family life? Philippians 2.13, I'll give you this verse. It says, it is God who works in you to desire and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. It's God who works in you to change your desire, to change your heart, to change your actions in order to become more Christ-like. It's God who does the work, is what it's saying. What we have to do is open the door. The best thing you can do right now for the people you love, the best thing you can do for them is to orient your life around Jesus. So I want to invite you to do that right now as we pray. God, 
I am uh, just so grateful for these people, these friends, these family of mine. Uh, they have been profoundly influential in my life. Lord, I thank you that you're still working, that we're all, we're all fixer-uppers. Every household here, or the household of one or the household of ten, God, we're, we're all under construction. This church family is still under construction. You're still building. You're still working in every way. And Lord, we acknowledge that there are real needs. There's areas in our homes, in our hearts, that need a little remodel. So God, we're swinging that door open to you today. God, I pray that you would point us in the direction that we should go. I pray you'd help us as a church family to love one another and encourage one another. But God, most of all, I pray you'd help us to shine our light in such a way that you would be glorified, that people would see you. In Jesus' name, amen.